Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. So good to be here. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. My name is Mike. You could be listening to me right here where I'm standing in beautiful Catanning or Indiana, Pennsylvania. You might be in the Petroleum Valley. You could even be in jail or maybe Freeport. One church, four locations, plus jail. <laughs> I don't know when the jail service meets. you got to go inside to find out, but we're going through Mark chapter... Six. So if you'd open your Bibles to Mark, we're going to jump right in. Mark chapter 6. Last week we got to hear Pastor Scott preach, and the week before that, for the very first time, we unveiled the new guy and got to hear Pastor Andy. I listened to Andy online. I was in South Carolina where um, my fourth grandchild was born, and so I got to be there for that. <laughs> Perfunctory clap, I'll take that. And, uh, but then I got to listen to Scott twice last week, and um, man, we've just got people who love to teach the Word, don't we? Okay, Mark chapter 6, we're going all the way through the book of Mark, and we're up to chapter 6. Um, Jesus is unstoppable in this section. Everything He does just goes great. And so let's jump in and see a very long section. From, we're going to go from verse 30 all the way to 52. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desperate, a desperate, a desolate place, a quiet place, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And Jesus went ashore, and he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send these people away. <laughs> To go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii or about almost a year's wage worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and all were satisfied. And then they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And so we assume an equal number of women and children, perhaps. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, and while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, around three in the morning or later, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking by the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, and they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. If you've been around the church at all, or, or even around Christianity at all, not even in the church, you've probably heard the stories that you just saw there. Jesus multiplying the fish and the bread for all those people, and then also Jesus walking on water. Um, so you've had time to think about that, most likely. I want us to see at least six lessons. I know there are more, but six lessons I get from this story. One, serving others is exhausting, <laughs> and we must manage our own well-being. Um, to become a follower of Jesus is to become a servant of Christ. The sign that you have met Jesus is you go from being oriented towards whatever interested you before, and that could include some serving some people, but for the most part, it's whatever directed you, whatever scratched your itch or rang your bell or whatever you wanted to do. But when you come to know Jesus, he makes you a servant. He makes you a slave. Jesus, who is the, the, the king of all things, <laughs> humbled himself to become a, a human, and then he served us. And any who follows him is not greater than he is, are we? So if he came to serve people, then to be a Christian, though you are a son or a daughter of God, though you could claim royal status on the earth, couldn't you? You could say, well, I will live forever, and you who don't believe are pawns come. I guess you could say that if you wanted to. But the reality is, he says, look, if, if you have that gift of, of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and you understand it, the effect on you shouldn't make you proud but humble. The effect on you shouldn't make you want to be the boss of everybody but the servant of everybody. And, and, and so serving people. We exist, if we're Christians, um, to benefit other humans, not just select few humans, any human in our circle, any human we come to, we should be thinking, how can I be a benefit to this person in a small way or a big way? That's what it means to be a Christian, right? So that's the Christian life, isn't it? it, it loving people as servants, it's what we are to work at. It's what our flesh fights against. Jesus' followers are servants. Jesus said this in Mark 10. Uh, he said, it shall not be so among you. And he was talking about people... The apostles trying to be greater than one another. He said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your, the slave of everyone else. Slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He says, I'm God. I could have come here and had you guys wait on me. But no, that's not why I'm here. And I came to give my life a ransom for many. That's the ultimate service, dying for someone, right? And there's no greater service. And that's why he came. So what is the good life, right? I like those t-shirts that have the little stick man on them that says life is good. Because I'm generally wanting to lean toward the happy side of life. <laughs> life isn't always happy, but I like leaning that way. So I like those little stick man shirts. I don't know how many of you have them. But what is the good life, if life is good? It's defining oneself as existing to benefit for others. It's the best way you can live. It is the way that leads to the most joy, 
as we saw in the scriptures several weeks ago, you can't even have joy unless you love humans. That's God's plan to get you to joy. I tell you these things that you might have joy, my joy may be in you, and it'll be full. What? That you love one another. But we can get exhausted because <laughs> we're not God, are we? We're humans. And serving others can go from creating joy to a burden. These guys weren't, didn't even have time to eat, all right? And, and <laughs> it can not only be exhausting, it can be maddening. We are limited. The amount of people you're going to be able to serve in your life is small. It is. You may want to be God's greatest gift to the world and the greatest servant of all, but you can only know so many people. There's only so many hours a day. You have only so much physical, emotional, spiritual resource within you. And so notice what Jesus says. Come away by yourselves in verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. Jesus is managing his leaders, isn't he? he he's, he's saying, you guys are, are going to get worn out. You're going to get burnt out. Um, you don't even have time to eat. And we have to know our own limits, don't we? Second lesson. Now, I'm going to let you apply that. There's, that's just a lesson. So you apply it. Um, some of you say, well, I don't serve anybody, so I have plenty of rest. Well, then you have another problem. <laughs> but but people, people will burn out and think, I'm doing good things for God. And then they become to make themselves a martyr. Instead of seeing other people as people to love, they see their own service as something to love. And uh, you could just wear out. Sometimes you've got to rest. You've got to ask for help. You've got to not feel guilty to take some time off. Because um, Jesus gave his guys time off. Second lesson. People in need behave like needy people. This may seem silly, but look at these people. <laughs> A large group of people. They, <laughs> they, oh my goodness, they're... I don't want to say this, but they seem to me, if I were there, they seem like a pain. The people Jesus called the minister to seem to be like a little bit of a pain in the neck. Did anyone else catch that in the text or or just me? They they just received a full day of Jesus' teaching. What I wouldn't give for that. I love to go to men's retreats and whatnot, and I love to go to conferences. I love good teaching. Don't you love it when somebody does a good job teaching the Word of God? Because you get a good picture of Jesus and your heart swells. They got a full day of Jesus teaching them himself. <laughs> and they were supposed to be going, though. Remember, before, before that happened, they were going to rest. They got in the boat to go to a desolate place to rest. All these people just ran after them. Like, we're trying to get some rest here. Man. They're behaving like needy people. And then they got a picnic lunch. Don't forget that part. They got a picnic lunch. Everyone sit down and they all sat in order and it was all very orderly. (laughs) Here's your food. No one said I didn't get enough. And I got a feeling that when miracle food comes, when Jesus is breaking that fish, it tastes better than it would have. Don't you think? It's perfectly seasoned. Doesn't give you allergies. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot 
from all the towns to get ahead of them. We're trying to rest. Listen, when we're tired enough and depleted enough, can we not come to resent the people we're here to serve? They, they can become annoyances. Uh, all moms know this, right? <laughs> all moms know this at some point. I was like, oh my word. Um, I'm not sleeping. I'm not, you know, and, and, and you just want more, 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 more. In those times, uh, we've got to remember why we serve. Um, it's not good to start hating the people you're there to help. And who are the people in your life you're there to help? Think about, now, and you say, I don't know. Uh, I don't think myself much as a servant. Well, we've already talked about that. You're going to fix that. So think of all the people you know in all the circles you go. You, you have a house and there's people there and you have a job or you don't and there's people there and you, you there's people all over the place, right? And uh, they can get heavy. Maybe we just don't see the needy people because we're worried about how tired we are. Jesus must have been tired too. If they were tired, he had to be tired But when he went ashore, verse 34, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. He was probably tired too, but when he looked up, he saw the needs of others. So yeah, you should get enough rest, but there is another part where we can become a little self-centered, right? I could become self-centered for sure. Um, Not one more person asking me for help. Not one more thing I need to do, please. But not Jesus. He he, he, he had compassion. Why? Because look at them. They're needy because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need God. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus remembers that lost people are lost. And lost people act like lost people. We Christians use terms like lost and unbeliever. And, and I've been told, not told directly um, in a corrective manner, but in teaching manners, don't say lost and unbeliever in church because the person in church who's lost and unbeliever doesn't want to feel like an outsider. So if that's you and you think I'm saying you're lost and an unbeliever, <laughs> prove me wrong. <laughs> Become saved and be a believer. I mean, let's just have a reaction. Or we could talk straight. Well, uh, to know Jesus is to, is to have eternal life, right? And, and to realize that God is the source of all our help. It doesn't mean I don't have needs anymore. Just I have a source. And if you're lost, you need Jesus. And it's my job to communicate that to you. What drove Jesus? Compassion. It wasn't a sense of duty, it was compassion. Do you remember why you had kids, mother? <laughs> what a good idea. You th- remember how you didn't think your life would be full if you couldn't have a kid? And now you got a couple of them, and you wonder why. Uh, you thought this was going to be such a good thing. Remember, remember why you got married, men and women? Do you remember that? Remember you were going to love her forever and she could count on you? Remember that? Remember why you volunteered to help? Do you remember that? Why you raised your hand when the boss said, I need someone to take this team and teach him how to do it. Do you remember when you said, yeah, I'll coach the team since none of the other dads want to step Do you remember that? When we begin to resent people we serve, we should correct our heart. Look at Jesus and have compassion. Look at the people and say they have needs and they matter. Everybody matters. 
course you want rest and recharging. That was lesson one. This is lesson two. <laughs> lesson three. The resources to serve come from God. I love the story because Jesus takes these hungry people and uses them as a teacher's aid or a teaching moment, right? <laughs> the, the, he has a different opinion on how they can get food, right? He, he feels responsible for them getting food. The apostles don't. We didn't tell them to come here. Let's tell them to go back where they came from. And Jesus says, no, how about you feed them? Do you think Jesus knew how much they had in the bank? Right? How much was on their ATM cards? He did. They were traveling kind of as a group. And the guy holding the money purse, according to the scripture, was a thief anyway. It was Judas. So we don't even know how much money they had, but they certainly didn't have enough to feed if it meant 5,000 men and women, that many. And if it was just men, it could have been 10,000. They didn't have enough. And what did Jesus say to them? You feed them. Have you ever felt like that? You went before people who didn't know Jesus. And you said, and, he, and you know that Jesus is saying, you, you go get them. And you go, they're not going to listen to me. I'm not that smart. I don't know what to say. Or you see people in need, in physical need. And you think, I could love them with the love of Christ, but I don't have the time. I'm not smart enough to think of how to do these things. Well, that's where the apostles were. They didn't have the necessary resources to do what Jesus said do. My friends, <laughs> this is a terrific place to be when you know Jesus is saying, go forward, and all the other apostles look at each other, pull out their pockets, and go, we got nothing. It's a great place to be because you're going to find out whether or not Jesus is really Jesus. And that's what, what happens, right? He blesses the bread, and he says, okay, guys, give them what you got. And they hand it all out, and there's stuff left over. He, he supplies what he requires. This, uh, it's almost March 1st, right? Big stinking deal, okay? Big stinking deal. Unless it's your birthday, then it's a good day for you. Happy birthday for you. But for the rest of us, March 1st is not a holiday or anything, is it? But it's, it's the, the, the first day I came to work at Harvest Community Church was March 1st, 2005. So for me, it's the end of 15 years. And I say that not to think about myself, but to think about what I've seen from my seat here. A lot has changed since 2005. A lot, of, a, lo a lot has changed that God has done at Harvest that in 15 years ago we did not have the resources. And if God had said to me, I'd like you to do this, Mike. If he had pulled me aside, told me what we were going to be doing 15 years later and said, I want this, 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 and this from you. I would have said, what? Do you think I have 200 denarii? Do you think I'm smart enough? Do you think I could pull that off? And he'd have said, Sit down. <laughs> I got this. I mean, we struggled to hire Pastor Rodney. Pastor Rodney, by, besides myself, is the longest tenured pastor at Harvest. Some of you don't even know Pastor Rodney, but he's still here. And he's a good guy. When we hired him, we were so not ready to hire him. But we needed a children's ministry built. We didn't have 
all the children's ministries we have in four campuses. We didn't have the rooms. They weren't painted. We didn't have all the TVs on the wall. We had nothing. And I actually said to Ronnie, look, could you start from scratch? And by the way, we don't have enough money to pay you full time. I called a, a person who went to the church at the time and said, we'd like to give him a little bit of health insurance. Could you at least spot us six months? That's where we were. (laughs) And now I don't know how many pastors we have. I don't know, nine, ten. Um, (laughs) We we said we we need to grow. We can't grow. We don't have any money. But there's, there's people coming. What do we do? And then someone gave us a building in the Petrolia Valley. Here, here's a building. Why don't you use this? <laughs> um, we, we said, we want to send people to an unreached people group. Well, what do we use for cash? And who are the people going to be? I don't know. There's a lot of stories I could tell you, and there's a lot I could leave out in a moment here, but they're there. How do we do that? How do we do that, fellow servants? <laughs> and then... A couple years ago, we got to a point where we said, okay, at all four campuses, we are maxed out on what we're going to do because we don't have any more space. There's things that need to be fixed. We're, we're, we're shoestringing things together, and, and, and we need some more people, and we need to upgrade some technology, and we need to, we got new missionaries coming, and we can't afford to send them, and we went we started their next initiative and we went to you guys and, and we all chipped in together and put in our loaves and fishes and, and the Lord just blessed this crud out of it. And it's like a whole different world two years, almost two years later. We got a future projects coming. What's the lesson for me? God will supply. We got a big project coming, big project, a the, the big step forward, a challenging step forward that's gonna change a lot. And uh, you, you, you've begun to hear, you'll hear more. It's not the time or the place for me to give those details. But I want you to know if God is in it, it doesn't matter whether we have the people to do it, the place to do it, or the money to do it. Because God is never says, well, you know what? I spent that on this. I gave you people for that. Pfft, I'm tapped out, guys. God never says that. He will supply. Look at this. The, the apostles, did you catch that they each had a basket left over? I don't know how big those baskets are. I don't know if they were like little French fry looking baskets or if they were big old baskets. I mean, you're passing out to other people. It's got to be bigger than a French fry basket, right? They've got a basket left over. Where are they going to put it? They don't have refrigerators. Why did God give them too much food? And why did each apostle have one? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing that you don't have to be Einstein to figure out that God is making a point. I can feed all these people till they're satisfied and you still have more than you need. And you're my workers. You're my workers to the apostles. You got what you need, don't you? Yeah, okay. Quit worrying about having enough. Just get out there and do what I tell you. Fourth lesson. Opportunities to serve are opportunities to teach. Jesus' first goal on earth was not to do miracles. His miracles get all the press, right? 
when you walk on water and cast out demons and stop the wind and, and do the fish and bread trick a couple of times, people are, you know, when you raise a few dead folks, heal some blind eyes, people are like, let me tell you about Jesus. And they lead with the miracles. But that's not primarily why he came. He came, the first thing he came to do, first in order, was preach and teach. Let's not miss this in this great miracle chapter. It says, he went ashore, saw a great crowd, had compassion because they were like sheep, and he began to teach. His response to their lostness was data. (laughs) Was data. Only humans can be satisfied through data, through knowledge. And it has to be the right knowledge, the knowledge of God. Try this with your dog. When your dog comes running around and looks kind of needy, don't pet it and don't give it food. Just break out a quick Bible lesson and lay it on the dog. He's not going to care. And he's still going to want to be petted and he's still going to want to chase the ball and he's still going to want food. A needy person's greatest need is knowing God. Next week we'll have more time to talk about the connection between good deeds and faith. And we want to be good deed doers. But in general, if you do good and never teach, you're not helping a needy person. What, what needs to be done needs... To, the, the, the best thing you can give anybody is eternal life, is bread from heaven, is spiritual water. And if you give them physical bread, but not verbally. So many uh, uh, religious Christian organizations will do food kitchens and whatnot. And I'm for that. (laughs) Anything that gets us around needy people is a good thing. Do that. Do, do, do anything like that. Do it with the Salvation Army if you want. Do it with another church. Go down to the soup kitchen. But in 99 out of 100, no one there is trained or expected to say a doggone thing to the people. Besides maybe, would you like more? Are you having a nice day? Well, you've met a need, but not a great need. Well, if you don't have soup, they'll get it from somewhere. You met a need anyone can meet. Needy people's greatest need is knowing God. Faith doesn't come by your good deed. Well, they're going to see how good I am, how nice I am, and I'll just feel so good about doing good. Who's this really about now? Well, they they might not like it if I talk, teach them too. Well, that's what they need. A little child doesn't like it when they have to get a shot. The nurse says, well, I'd give, I'd give your kid a shot so that he doesn't die, but he's going to be mad at me. <laughs> no, they, they say, look the other way, little boy. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> and we have something better than a shot. They wanted food. He gave them words of life. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus also used this moment to teach his leaders. If you know something about Christ, teach Christians. 
Teach Christians, because you're investing in other workers. You don't have to be Jesus with an apostle to do this. You can be any Christian with any other Christian. We build each other up as iron sharpens iron. If you know a truth from Christ, say it. There's nothing like godly conversation among God's people. Nothing makes me happier than when I come, when I'm done with a sermon, someone will come up and says, I, I want to talk about the message. And then they're like, I don't know, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, bother me? Finally, something I want to talk about. And if I hear two people talking about a godly theme, I'm like, God, God's spirit is at work here. If you have Christians in your life and you never talk about what the Bible says, you're missing an opportunity to be taught and to teach. Jesus didn't miss those opportunities. Okay. Oh, and what were the lessons? He, he was teaching them to teach at all times by doing it in front of them. He was teaching them to do good deeds. He was teaching them to rely on him. He was teaching them that God gives rest. Do you see all the lessons that these apostles were getting this day? Look, Jesus came to die for our sins. That's his best ministry. He is the innocent one who died for us guilty ones. So all us sinners could believe on him and be saved. But you cannot connect to that without preaching and teaching. In other words, Jesus dying for your sins will not save you if you don't believe in him and you will not believe in him if no one teaches you. Um, in John's gospel, in chapter 6, Jesus says, Don't work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Don't work for food which perishes. And so when you think what you have some, give, feed the poor, yes. But that perishes. But give them work to give them the food that endures for eternal life. You see, Jesus, after this miracle, we know from the Gospel of John, people started running after him because they wanted more chow. They wanted more food. They're like, he gives food. Let's go get breakfast now. And let's stick with this guy. We can save on our money budget and we can hear him teach. Uh, you know, and, and he'll give us food. <laughs> and, and his response was, listen, you're coming for food. You're like the Jews who, who God gave manna in the desert. Where Moses took the Israelites in the desert because God told them to. There was no source of food. So manna flaked down from the sky. Bread literally came from the sky. And Jesus said, that is not the bread from heaven. (laughs) Because you eat it and then you die. He says, I am the bread from heaven. This body is true food. Right? This body... His body is really going to die on a cross. You really need to receive him and you get real eternal life. Teaching, it's not the job simply of those gifted to teach. You might say, well, I don't know how to teach the Bible. Okay, I'm going to make it real easy. First, read anything in the Bible. Then, tell someone what you read. Can you do that? Don't nobody tell me no. <laughs> Don't nobody tell me no. Nobody should tell me no. Because you can tell me how to do all kinds of other things. You can tell me what store to go to to buy the gazinta that I need over there. You know, you can tell me how to cook that or tell me how to shoot a deer. Tell me how to do anything. 
go read the Bible, learn anything, tell anyone. That at least will get you started. Hopefully you'll get more strategic as you go on. Fifth lesson. Dependence on God in heaven remains a priority even after an exhausting event. The apostles were tired. So was Jesus. <laughs> Jesus sent them to rest. Now this was after the food. The, the people hadn't followed him again yet. And, and Jesus said, get in the boat, go rest. But look, what did Jesus do? He just had a successful day of ministry. He just sent his boys off to rest because they needed it. And he went to pray. Verse 45 and 46. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. I always wonder how he did that. Did he just say, you are dismissed? (laughs) And then they all left. I mean, I don't know. There was a force field around him to keep them from mobbing him. And then it says, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountains to pray. Doesn't he need rest too? Jesus depended on heaven. What did he talk to God about then? Was it to rehash what just happened? Did you see that? It was awesome. (laughs) Was it to intercede for the apostles? That was awesome, but did you notice Thomas? He's still a little slow about doing what we ask, you know. Got to work on him. Was it to thank God? I have no idea what he said to him in prayer. The fact is, he did it. (laughs) In a busy, exhausted day, he made time to meet with God. Now, notice he had more stamina than the apostles. He did not tell the disciples like he would at other times, come and pray. He said, go rest. It's almost as if he's acknowledging, you can't keep up with me. (laughs) Even though I'm in a human body, (laughs) because he was, that needed to rest like you are, Jesus was the perfectly managed soul. We're not. And so he, he, they don't have to feel guilty. Oh, you're going to pray and we're going to rest? And he wasn't using that as passive aggressive. Oh, sure, you rest. I'll be up here praying. He says, go, go rest. But he prayed. What's the lesson for the apostles? By his example and by what he said, he taught them that rest is important. And you should plan for it. But so is prayer. And you're going to need to plan for it. Because your day is going to be busy. Your day is going to be exhausting. You need to plan for it. Now, you can't necessarily be... I can't do what Jesus does in this story. He's up at 3 in the morning walking around on the pond. Right? (laughs) And everyone knows their own body. I need 8. I can often get by for a long time on 7. But eventually, I need 10. I'm talking about hours of sleep, by the way. (laughs) You know, that's just me. You know your own body. So, we have to follow his example. Walk in his steps, as he says in other places. So, that means we have to make a plan that includes our own need for sleep. And when to pray. If you're always praying before bed and you fall asleep, don't pray before bed. Or go ahead and... Fall asleep praying, that's good, but maybe you need another time. Anyway, let me move on. You get this lesson. I'm just beating it in now. 
And this last one is probably the most important one, the one that may seem the most obvious, but I don't think it is. <laughs> it's perhaps the most profound, and that is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It's three in the morning. It's between three and six in the morning. Prayer time is over. Jesus is like, where are the apostles? He looks out. They're halfway across the lake. Now they know this lake. At least four of them were fishermen on it as a living. Maybe they slept out there. And now they're ready to roll on. I don't know. (laughs) But they're stuck in the wind. Um, They can't get to the other side because of a strong wind. You know God engineers all this stuff. So Jesus starts walking across the water, right? He's not floating above it. It says he walks on it. How does he walk on it? Because he made the universe. He made what we call the laws of nature. He's not bound by them. He's outside of them. And he can tell gravity what it's going to do. He can tell water how buoyant it's going to be or he's going to be. He can deal with the molecules. He's like... I'm not swimming, I'm walking. And away he goes. And he's just strolling across the water. And they see him. They're weary. They're afraid. (laughs) Been trying to get rest for 24 hours. (laughs) Rowing a boat. And what do they see? Jesus walking on the water. And they know this. People do not walk on water. Are they correct? Yes. Unless the water's on the floor and you walk through the puddle. But you don't walk on deep water. You don't. Jesus is a people. Therefore, he must be dead. And that's a ghost. Because ghosts can probably walk on water. That's exactly where their mind goes. It's not irrational. It's either a group hallucination. The most rational explanation is it's a group hallucination. But that's really hard to think could really happen. (laughs) So the second most rational would be, that's a ghost. They didn't have the technology for holograms back then. That wouldn't be rational. So it's a ghost. And ghosts are scary. Right? (laughs) You might not think of it as you sit listening to a sermon that a ghost is scary. But in that dark night, when you're alone and no one's around... And all of a sudden, there's a ghost. (laughs) You're going to get scared. And so they're, I I won't go through their head. If he's a ghost, who killed him? Did he die on the mountain? They are frightened to death. The language of verses 50 to 52 show a great emotional reaction. They saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke and he said, take heart. It's me. (laughs) It's I, actually, he said, not it's me. Don't be afraid. Well, they are afraid. Too late. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They'd seen this trick before. And they were utterly astounded. (laughs) Utterly astounded. You may see that in different translations. I had to look it up. So I looked it up. The, the, the words in Greek, there's no way you can over-translate this one. This is one made for extremism, for superlatives. It's made for hyperbole. 
President Trump should probably say utterly astounded. Because he'd make it really big. They were just, it was just the greatest astoundment we've ever seen. Because that's what it's really saying. They were absolutely shocked to their core. They're having an emotional meltdown on that boat as Jesus gets on it. Why? No, I know why. They're freaked out. They just saw a ghost. It's not a ghost. But that's not what the scripture says is why. The scripture says this. this literally, it says in Greek, they were out of their minds with shock. Crazy with shock would be a good translation. The Bible says the reason they felt that way was they did not understand about the loaves. They missed the lesson. They missed the lesson about the loaves. Well, what did they miss? I just covered five simple lessons. They should have picked those up. Those weren't hard, were they? Well, there's another lesson. They, they were supposed to learn something. They didn't learn it. Because <laughs> their hearts were hardened. Why are they hardened? I'm not going to concern myself with that. Because I don't know Why? <laughs> If I concerned myself with it, I couldn't give you an answer why they were hardened. But they were hardened because they did not understand. What was it that they didn't understand? The fish and bread was not about a picnic. Obviously, the loaves were not about feeding these people. That was secondary. What was the lesson they missed? Who does that is the lesson they missed. Who takes a loaf and feeds thousands of people? Who takes a fish and feeds thousands of people? It did not occur to them that every loaf of bread comes from a wheat field filled by the Creator. That every fish comes from a lake or an ocean filled with fish by God, and there Jesus is just breaking it out. What was it they didn't understand? He's God. You missed it. I'm God. I'm the wheat giver. I'm the fish giver. This is a cinch for me. I do it every day. And they didn't see it. And when he's walking by, what does he say to them? He says, take heart, it is I. Now, I don't want to read into the text, but I will point out <laughs> that it's the exact way you would say, I am, if it were in the first part of the sentence. <laughs> and we know I am is a name. It's in the second part. Don't be afraid, it is I. Take heart, it is I. It's not take heart, I am. <laughs> But it's the same way you'd say it. Take heart, I'm God. Is that what he's saying? That's obviously what they missed. The reason you're scared is you don't understand who I am. And you've been hanging out with me. Jesus, now look at their reaction. He's terrifying. This is a part of Jesus. I, I almost feel like I miss I almost feel like the, the Christian culture that I learned from the time I was saved and perhaps the one I've propagated misses that Jesus is scary. 
I know he's good. I know he's powerful. I know he loves me. You're sitting next to God wondering how to feed these people. (laughs) You're freaked out because I can walk on water. I made water. But he's not safe. He's terrifying these men. And it's not the first time he's terrified them. Back in Mark 4, which we read a few months ago, they became much afraid and said to one another, who then is this? Apparently they didn't get the answer. Even the wind and sea obey him. The one who you say, Christian, you've received into your heart, who is the Holy Spirit, who is God, you say, I know that. Do you? Do you know him as he is? Perhaps your heart is hard like theirs. Perhaps mine is. He terrified the apostles. And he did it on purpose. He terrified them. Why? So they would see him. What a gift from God to be terrified by the godness of God being revealed to your eyes. What a gift from God. How does that not set everything straight in the human mind? How does that not destroy any thought that I know better than God? How does that not tear down any of my pride? How does not not answer all my questions about who I can trust, who is leading me, how we're going to go, why I don't need to worry. Jesus is downright frightening on this boat before, not this boat, but on this lake near this spot before he called the 12. Four of them came in from the night of fishing and they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus came and he was doing his teaching and healing stuff. And they liked him. We already know that John and James and Simon and Andrew liked him. Jesus turns to Simon and says, can I get in your boat? He says, sure. He says, can you push it out there? We're going to fish. Simon says, I'm just getting to know you. I think you're a pretty impressive guy. But uh, I'm a fisherman. (laughs) Fished all night, caught nothing. We don't fish in the morning because it's hard to catch them then. Probably not a good idea. But since you want me to, we'll push out. And he does. And Jesus says, okay, throw your nets out. He does. They start to fill up. What does Peter think when they fill up? Money. (laughs) What else would you think? You're a fisherman, doggone it. You sell these things. Money! And he starts piling them. Him and Andrew start piling them onto his boat. And then (laughs) there's more fish. Then there is boat. So he calls over to John and James. Come over here now. They come over. What do they do? They start piling those fish on their boat. Till there's more fish. And they're literally sinking. When all of a sudden it hits Peter. This guy calls fish. And he falls to the ground. Terrified. Or to the boat. And says... I'm not worthy of you being in my boat. And that's when Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. When, when, when I, Isaiah in chapter 6, 
was lifted up after working as a prophet for I don't know how long, <laughs> or being a godly man at least, he, he gets called into heaven. What's the first thing he does? Terrified, he falls to the ground and says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm not worthy to be here. What does Moses do when he comes across the burning bush? He's terrified, and he falls to the ground. And as I was thinking this through, I thought, is my heart hard? And the very next thought was, I'm not good enough to serve you. And then I prayed this, which I want to pray for you right now. God, if I, my heart is hard, terrify me. Not with devils, not with physical pain, not with evil things. Show me who you are. And let that shake me to my core. Because I say you're God, but I forget you're God. God. 